and uh, longtime pastors, I understand. Is that right? Yeah, you, so you pastor, you're not pastoring right now, but you pastor more than 35 years. Come on, let's give him a hand this morning. Thank you all so much for being here today. I hope I don't let you down. Praise God. You'll let me know later. Spoken by like a true pastor, I tell you. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're going there, I had it on my heart. Also, to sort of follow up, I so appreciate what my wife was sharing. You know, there's nothing Jesus can't do for us, no matter what the economic time. If we'll, I don't want to re-preach what she just said, but resist worry, griping, moaning, and complaining. And keep His promise in our mouth. Because we have a covenant with God. And, uh, but to walk in biblical prosperity, now I know a lot of people take prosperity sort of to the extreme. There's ditches on both sides, right? Uh, one ditch says God doesn't want you to have anything. Right. None of those old world goods. Well, you wouldn't have been able to, you know, what's okay, you know? How, you got here in an old world good, an automobile, right? You know, that kind of thing. So we, we kind of say, well, a little bit, it's okay, but just not too much. And then there's ditch on the other side, you know? And uh, But God wants us to prosper. He wants us to have a full supply yes. for our family, for our children. He wants us to be able to lay up, uh, not to hoard, but to lay up because a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That means you've got more money in your lifetime than what you need, right? Come on. And to be able to be a great blessing in the kingdom and in the world financially advancing the gospel. But, you, you know, to walk in biblical prosperity, you have to know some things. And the Lord had me a couple of years ago write a book. And it really came, really it's a lifetime so far of experience with God. Uh, but really this book came out of an intense period of about 18 months. Where Amber and I had, we had to have just under $2,000 a month that we did not have any way of knowing how that money came in. Just to meet our basic obligations. And He never failed us. Amen. Right? He never failed us. He met those needs every uh, every month, and uh, we just continue to come up. But anyway, uh, I wrote this book called A Prosperous Journey. And in times like these, you, you, you want to be on the cutting edge of your faith and your understanding. But I wanted to say, this book assumes you already know some basic biblical things, like tithing and you know, some foundational things. If you feel like you, you're, you're not even established in the foundational things, then in our bookstore, I recommend Kenneth e. Hagin's book, Biblical keys to found biblical keys to uh, what is it? Financial prosperity, and it's going to cover all the basic foundational scriptural things that you need. Beginning steps that you and I must take to keep the door open for prosperity to flow in our lives, and then read this book after that. It, it'll build on some things and really bless you and really help you. And it's out in the bookstore. Praise God. Be a blessing to you today. Amen. Well, Father, we approach your word today with great reverence and excitement and expectation. Lord, uh, the Bible says that we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that was spoken by the mouth of God. And so whether it's the written word or the spirit uh, of God that speaks at times within our hearts, we esteem highly all that you would say. And I thank you for the great Holy Spirit that has come to be our teacher and to be our guide. That, God, that you would cause the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scriptures to our spirits. 
And that, God, that our hearts would be hearts that grab hold, that comprehend, that understand, and that every ear this morning would be an ear that hears. And that every eye here today would be an eye that sees. And every heart today that's here would be an open heart, a comprehending heart. And, God, I pray today that we would all leave this place intent on not just being a forgetful hearer of the Word. That doesn't do us any good. In fact, it brings deception, according to James. But God, we intend to leave this place being a doer of what we hear when we know what we hear is the Word. Because that is where the blessing is. We thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. For the last couple of uh, services that I've had uh, on Sunday mornings, the Lord's been having me deal with a particular topic. We've been in a vein talking about the fear of the Lord or what it means to have a reverential awe a right sense of respect and honor toward God. The Bible says that God is greatly to be feared in the sanctuary. And He is to be held in reverence by all the saints. Amen? And we don't fear God like we would fear a rattlesnake or the edge of a cliff. We're not afraid of God. But if if we gain, we all should gain and seek to gain a greater sense of how awesome He is, how high He is, how magnificent He is, how powerful, how holy He is. Amen. And as His children, we come boldly into the throne. Amen. Because He's a good, good Father. And we come boldly before the throne of grace. But at the same time, you know, uh, I I don't want my kids to be afraid of me, but I want them to respect me. And I want them to have a little pause in the back of their head before they sin, before they disobey, before they rebel. Right? I mean, I bet Faith you know, she pays for the lion's share of her Jeep, but I pay for enough, and it's in my name, that if she gets out of line, guess what? <laughs> you know, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Much less the bed she sleeps in, the food, and all that. Amen. Praise God. And she's a good kid. She doesn't, like my other kids, doesn't cause me, a, you know, a minute's trouble. But you still want some reverential fear mixed in there, right? It's a healthy thing. Amen. But anyway, somehow or another, the Lord uh, began to deal with us about some things, uh, well, a specific thing uh, that uh, we've been dealing with that has really uh, been the culprit, I think, for all of us to a degree, we all deal with this, uh, where we get turned aside from what's really important. And we're good people, we love Jesus, we want to do right. I'm approaching what I think about you from that standpoint, believing the best in all of us. And yet so many, uh, our lives are not producing the kind of fruit that God is expecting for us to produce over time. And we're not progressing in our callings. Uh, We're not being as faithful as we should be uh, in the house of God, serving. And we're not being as faithful outside the house of God, being a witness, carrying the gospel to the the community in which we live. And what is is this thing that's uh, tripping us up? Well, it's distractions. For time's sake, we're not turning there, but the last two Sundays, we started in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11. You could write that reference down if you need it. But there it talks about, uh, lest Paul said, lest Satan get an advantage of us, uh, we, because we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan has devices, he's got plans, he's got strategies, he's got schemes by which he intends to derail my life, my ministry, amen, and yours too. And one of the devices of the enemy is the device, the strategy of distraction. Amen. Amen. 
Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, wonderful chapter in the New Testament, we'll just read this one verse. And uh, he's been talking about marriage. He's been talking about the virtues and responsibilities of those who choose to be single. That there is a distinct advantage in those who can keep themselves sexually pure and stay single. uh, That they can be wholly, completely devoted in all their time and all their focus and all their energy to the Lord. Amen. Now, you know, that's, that's not God's plan for most of us because he said, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> and, and to do that his way, you have to have a wife. You have to have a husband to replenish the earth. And God wants godly seed out of our marriages. But even to the married in this chapter, he says, even your spouse can be an undue distraction. We owe our spouses time. That's true. And he deals with that in this chapter. But at the same time, he says uh, to the married, you need to live as though you weren't in a sense because the time is so short. And the the moment we've come to in the body of Christ is so urgent that we need to be focused. Everyone say focused. Now, I'm preaching to myself in this. I'm right here with you in this boat. Focus has not been the great strength of my life. Whatever degrees of focus I have had, I have had because I have worked hard. And I feel like I've attained so little. Amen. And, uh, you know, my wife is much more just bent in the way she thinks, her disposition, her personality, uh, just her makeup to be more shielded, naturally speaking, to distractions. She just shut out the world. Amen. Praise God. Uh, Even with all the activity around, she can just flip that switch and and she's doing her thing. And that can be a great asset. Amen. Well, here we are in 1 Corinthians 7.35, and it says, And I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that means that which is good or profitable, and be good for you, that you may attend upon the Lord. What? Thank you, Sarah. Who else is out there? That we may attend upon the Lord without distraction. I wonder how many of you out there right now are distracted. I mean, don't let the sermon catch you so early. Amen. Don't think about your Sunday afternoon right now. Don't think about what you got to do before the week starts. Be right here in the moment. It is so, you know, something, Satan, he'll always, you know, you're sitting there, you came, you dressed up, you've honored God, you've worshiped, you brought your tithe. If it was time, you had some increase to bring, and now you're in the right place, and you're desperate for a tweak or for an answer or for a bit of guidance, and all of a sudden, uh, he could cause a distraction on one side of the auditorium. I'll say something that would have been the thing that triggered your answer, but you missed it. Because you're looking down on your phone at social media. See, don't take all these right steps to be in the right place sitting under the knee, underneath the ministry of, a, of the shepherd. Even then to be distracted. And, and you know, you're, you, you don't have to, your body being here doesn't mean that you're present. You can be absent while your body is present. And this is how serious, it's moment by moment. People sleep through their answer. They sleep through their miracle. They sleep through their breakthrough. Amen. Again, I wonder how many leadings, how many words from God have we missed because we were doing the wrong thing at that moment? 
We never took time that day to get quiet. We never took enough time that day to get still and let your body grow quiet. I don't mean just fall asleep in your recliner, but I mean grow quiet and your mind to grow quiet where God could speak to your spirit. I remember the story many, many years ago that Brother Hagin told. He had been on the road for a number of weeks. You know, back then, he didn't even accept an invitation to go minister somewhere if the meeting wasn't going to go more than five or six weeks. Most of his meetings were nine weeks, ten weeks, and they'd go every day except Saturday, morning and night. Hallelujah. And they had all kinds of fruit, all kinds of wonderful miracles. And, uh, but he'd been in meetings like that and was gone and finally had a, a couple of days to be at home. And when you're gone like that and you have a couple of days to be at home, you have all kinds of natural things to take care of. So he was busy. Everyone say busy. Busy. About those natural things. They weren't wrong. They weren't sinful. They were, they were necessary to take care of. But as he was uh, going about that, he was in his car, and he had this physical sensation of being thrown from a car. He had this physical sensation of being thrown from a car. And he goes, I wonder what that is, what, that, what that's all about. But that's about all he, that's about all he did with that. And, but he kept having this sensation. Then during the weekend, or these couple of days he was at home, his wife happened to be in the car with him, and he had this physical sensation again of being thrown from a car. And he said, well, they didn't wear seatbelts religiously back then. They did have them in the, in, at this time. And he said, honey, reach over and put your seatbelt on. And he did too. And she knew that was odd for them. Why would he do that? And he said, I don't know, honey. I, just, I have had this physical sensation of someone being thrown from a car being thrown from a car. And, but he went on, did his thing, and, and left for the next meeting. Well, he was gone out on the road, either traveling or already arrived at his destination, and his son called, Ken Jr. called, and said, uh, uh, Dad, uh, we just got this call, and it was his niece had been thrown from a car and killed. She was thrown from a car. She, she exited the car during the crash, and was killed. She was, I believe, in her 30s and left uh, several small children and a husband behind. Now, see, he immediately knew. Now, there's all kinds of different ways the Spirit of God tries to alert us about things. In this case, he actually gave the physical sensation to Brother Hagen of being thrown from a car. It was an attempt, a prompting to get his attention for what purpose? To pray to hold that before God, to exercise authority over that plan of the devil. See, I'm thoroughly convinced, he was too, that she didn't have to die in that car accident. See, well, if God wanted to save her, why couldn't he? I don't have time to preach that to you, but you need to keep coming until I get back around it. it you know, God gave dominion to man on this planet. God doesn't do anything on the earth except through and in cooperation with his people, with his man. And so much of the time, he just he needed him to take time aside to hold that before God, to talk to God about it. That thing could have been completely averted. What cost this young woman her life? Distraction. Distraction. We need to pay attention to the stirrings of our own heart and not be so distracted and cluttered up in our head with meaningless things 
that we're not getting accurately. We can, a lot of times we have something and don't realize we have something. How many of you, you've had this occurrence, something happened and then you went, I knew, I, I knew. Well, let me ask you, how did you know? We need to learn. That's not my lesson either this morning. But see, that's the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We are eternal human spirits now. And we who have been born again, the Holy Spirit who knows everything about everything has come to live on the inside. And He's here to help us live in victory. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. So the, what, the, the cost of distraction, the more we talk about it, the more we think about it, it, it can get long. What distractions are costing us? Let me read this uh, verse from the Amplified Translation. It says, Now I say this for your own welfare and profit, not to put a halter of restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and in good order, and to secure your undistracted and undivided devotion to the Lord. See, a lot of Christians where they're missing it, they do have, I'm not diminishing, they do have an affection for God. And they call that, if you were to ask them, do you love God? I love God. Well, on that measure, I'm I'm sure that's right. But do we remember Jesus' definition of what love for God means? Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. That's the definition that God holds. Who loves him? It's not those who have an affection for him, but constantly live their life out of divine order. It's a deception. Now, none of us are perfect, but if we are not interested in obeying God, following the commandments then we don't love Him the way we should. We don't love Him in the biblical sense. I know that's, that's kind of a bitter pill to swallow. But it, it's truth. If we're not interested in obeying the Word of God and bringing our life in conformity with His will and Word, then we do not love Him. People miss, they neglect church, they, uh, they're, not in, they're not even engaged in the work of the kingdom. Everything about their life is them. Their deal, their career, their work, their family, their children's activities. And if it's outside, and I'm, well, I, I, yeah, you know, I love God. I love God. We all love God here at the, co- at the, at the you know, so-and-so house. Uh, but we just got so much going on. That's why we don't come to church. That's why we don't come to prayer group. That's why we don't serve. That's why we don't do anything to help the lost. That's not, that's not good enough. That's not going to fly. And it's a deception to say, I love God, and I'm sure He understands. You know, sometime when my kids are older, well, when the kids are older, they're going to have kids, and then you're going to want to be around all those kids. And I mean, the devil is just going to fill us with, every day we're going to be offered with all the distractions we need to not do any of what God wants us to do. Amen. So I've asked it before, and I'm not being redundant. It's not like I don't have other things to preach, but I just felt like, again, I need to drill down into this because this is where we live. Has God secured in your life, in your life, an undivided, undistracted devotion to Him? 
It doesn't mean that we don't do a lot of other things. That are, we, we go to work. We, we take kids to school. We help with homework. We, we cut the grass. We do all of these things, right? But, but in your heart of hearts, and, and, and not just from your heart, but it's translated to the calendar and how you order your day and your week, is God first place in your life? Is God first place in your life? See, there's so many things God wants to bless your life with. Health and strength and divine protection. He wants to bless your life with finances and peace of mind. Uh, he, he has everything for us, but God has an order. I said God has an order. Let's go ahead and go over to Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Matthew chapter 6. Glory. Pastor, I already quote where you're going. Well, that's fine. Are you living it? Are you living it? Matthew 6, verse 32. Jesus said, for after all these things. Now, without going back and reading all that for time's sake, he's talking about all the things that natural people are concerned about. What are they going to eat? Their stuff, their homes, their cars, their gas, you know, uh, all houses, clothes to wear, all of that. He says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Gentiles just means the unsaved one. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all. Our heavenly Father knows we have need of all. He knows, I noticed today. Now that huck's down there at the corner. I don't know. I'm going to pick on them a little bit. God bless them. They're charging the highest of the high of the high. I went just down the road and, I, and diesel was 50 cents cheaper. And then they upped it again 10 cents this morning. Now I know all that's high and all that stuff, but I mean that could work on your brain. That could work on your mind. Amen. But how do you know our Heavenly Father knows... What milk costs. Our Heavenly Father knows what it costs to fill a gas tank. None of this surprises Him. Praise God. And so He says, After all these things the Gentiles seek, but your, for your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, and if you just beg and cry and whine and squall and bawl, He might give it to you. No, He tells you exactly what to do. He tells us exactly what to do. To do what? To have all. To have all, to have everything you want, dream, and need of in your life. He's about to tell you how to have it all without any worry, without any anxiety, without any struggle. Come on, are you down for this? I know a lot of people, they're down for the struggle. I'm not down for the struggle. I, I like the flow. I like the blessing. I'm not down for the struggle. I've been redeemed from struggle. I just refuse to struggle through this period. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not cutting back church budget. Now, if the Lord told me to do something, I'd have to. Amen. But I'm not cutting back. Dr. Dufresne taught me. He said the enemy puts pressure on your ministry. You'll cut the newsletter. You'll cut your partnership program. Before long, the devil's got you out in the street just by putting pressure on you. When the devil puts pressure on you, you just put pressure on him. Push him right back. Remember, Reverend Joel reminded us of where we're seated. Far above. Amen. Well, what is it that he told us to do? He says, but seek. Seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The God realm. Seek 
Now, you can't seek the kingdom of God first if you're not seeking the king first, if you're not seeking God first, if your relationship with God, you, God, if that is not first, out of order, we already disqualify from having all added to us. Some of us, we just need to make some adjustments. Amen? Is your relationship with God your paramount, number one, passion, aim, priority, and focus? Not everyone in here can say that. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean He's mad at you. It doesn't mean you don't have a measure of love for Him. But it just does mean that maybe distractions... And other things have entered in and our priorities have gotten jumbled around and we just need to set them back in order. Hallelujah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now what does this mean? He didn't just say seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what gets most often quoted. But he said seek ye first His righteousness. Amplified says His ways. His ways. Do you know the local church is God's way? That's God's way. Having a pastor, that's God's way. Having a job in the family of God, that's God's way. Reading your Bible every day, that's, that's God's way. How about living clean? Not coming to church, waving a hanky, saying amen, and then living in darkness in secret when you're away from us. That is not God's way. And you may fool all of us and shout amen and we all might, you know, uh, you know, wonder and compliment you on your shiny shoes. But if you leave here and live in unrighteousness, it, it's not going to work for you. I said it's not going to work for you. We have to live clean. We have to live right. We have to do our best to pay our bills on time. We should be good, uh, upstanding members of our community. We should live moral lives not immoral lives. And when we stumble and fall, we need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us, receive His forgiveness, and then get up and do better. It doesn't, when it says, no, I'm, I'm glad He didn't say to have all added to you, you have to arrive. He didn't say, when you arrive at perfection, I'll add all things to you. What did He say? Seek. You have that amplified there, honey? I'll go for the paper. Praise the Lord. Thank you, though. So notice, Amplified says, but seek, aim. What is our aim? What is our top aim? The kingdom. Now, again, it's so simply stated, but people like to just pass over it, act like it wasn't said, and just go la, 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 and move on. The vast majority of folks, the kingdom of God is not first. They are. How many times have we heard, and it sounds so right, nothing comes before my family. How, how many of you don't, listen to what Pastor Nancy told us, that, how not to tell off on yourself in church, just go, amen, amen, Pastor, that's right, just say amen, nobody will know it's you, and then you, you can fall across your bed later, you and God, and get it, get it straight, right? Come on, amen, amen, Pastor. Maybe you've said it. Nothing comes before. Nothing, nothing is more important than my kids. You're out of order. 
God, until that gets turned around, He cannot add, add all things the Gentiles are seeking to your life because God's not first. There's someone that you care more about than Him. That is a higher priority. Now it goes against that motherly instinct, doesn't it? But you know, if you put God first, your baby will never lose. I said, your baby will never lose. You know, your children aren't even supposed to be second. Husbands and wives say, there's no one more important than my children. You're out of order. You're, you're doubly out of order. Your spouse is to be a higher priority than your children. Oh, yes. You know what happens when you have children? They grow up and they leave you. Yeah. She said, hallelujah. You do know, Mom and Dad, that you're not raising them to keep them. Now, if the Lord's plan, if the Lord's plan calls and allows for them to live close by, hallelujah, praise God. But see, a lot of people, they, the moment the little Johnny arrives, that's the world. There's not even room for God in that world. And then 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 years later, they finally leave. They finally start paying their own rent, buying their own food. And you look up and you go, who are you? A lot of marriages don't survive it. A lot of marriages don't make it. I tell you, as a, as a child of a broken home, on the other side of that, if you asked me what I wanted most, it would have been for my mom and my dad to love each other. And if that meant me taking the second place, I'd have been happy. Whatever it would take, mom and dad, if you could have stayed in love and stayed sweet and kept your marriage hot and on fire so that our home did not have to break. No condemnation. God did a great work. I'm all right. But there's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of hurdles that kids have to overcome. When we make our children our pets, our hobbies, our idols, and God is way down the list, whether it's distraction or just a wrong heart, it costs us. You know, God longs to, but He's not going to violate what He said to get stuff to you while we live our lives out of divine order. Amen. 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 Matthew 6.33 is the master key to experiencing blessing and prosperity. Amen. The master key. Don't think. Don't just give yourself a quick A plus so we can move on. You need to evaluate. You need to check yourself out. 
Well, what evidence could I look for? A great place to look to find out if God is first is your checkbook register. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so if your tithe is in your boat payment, or in your hobby, or in your mortgage, or being deposited into your child's college fund every month, then see, we're finding out where your treasure is. No condemnation, but I'm just, I'm just talking. I'm like Fox News. I report, you decide. <laughs> Amen. Let's go over, uh, let's go over to um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13 again. Y'all all right? Praise God. See, I believe and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit, see, He knows you better than I know you, that He'll speak to you. And what I recommend today is um, make a list today or this weekend sometime. What's tripping me up? What are the things that I have allowed to enter in or that I have just flat decided were more important to me than God, His kingdom, and living and being right. Amen. And let the Holy Ghost speak to you. He'll do it sweetly. Yeah. Amen. He'll help you to know the things that... He'll put the finger on it for you. And no doubt we know. Right? No doubt we know. We live with us. Amen. We live with us all the time. Where the problems are. Hallelujah. Luke 13, verse number 6. Jesus spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon. What did he come seeking? Fruit. So he planted a tree, but he's really not interested. He planted the tree for a purpose. The purpose of the tree is not just so the tree can sit there. The purpose of the tree is fruit. And you and I are that tree. And sadly, what did he find? He found none, no fruit. Then said he to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth, King James, why cumbereth it in the ground? And he answering and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it or fertilize it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not then, after that, cut it down. Now Dr. Vines... Uh, his dictionary of New Testament words defines this word cumbereth. It means to be reduced to idleness or inactivity. But this doesn't mean that I'm reduced to just stillness. He's talking about this word encumbers. The tree encumbered the ground, meaning it became idle and inactive in bearing fruit. It ceased to bear fruit. Amen? Let me read this to you. People have been reduced to idleness through busyness. People have been reduced to idleness through busyness. There is a great difference between being busy and being fruitful. Here's another thing. This is a very practical thing that I sometimes do for myself. I will just take a week and I'm purposing. I'm not going to change anything about the week. 
out of the norm. I'm just going to be in my flow. But I'm going to journal every half hour. I'm going to plot down what occupied every half hour of my working day. And then I'm going to get to the end of the week and I'm going to look. And it might, a lot of times it's filled with going here, going there, doing this, doing that. But when I measure all of that activity by what was truly important to my future, to my call, to my God, many times I find out I let a lot of things enter in and steal the precious time I had to do what was truly vital, and I filled it with the less important. And you could do that. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And we can just actually look and say, this is what my week looked like. And if my whole life is represented by this week repeated over and over and over again, I'm going to get to the end having not done what I should have done. Therefore, I've got to make some changes. So it's just a very practical thing that I sometimes do. Amen? Go back now to... Uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. That word cumber, as you're turning, it means to take up the ground. It means to deplete the soil. I don't want to just take up ground in the kingdom. Hello. I don't want to just take up ground in the kingdom. I certainly don't want to deplete the soil of the kingdom. I want to be Useful. How many of you, you can say that? You're sincere. You want to be useful. Praise God. I believe that. I so believe that. Well, we have to watch out for these things called distractions. The word distraction, let me remind you of that while you're finding Luke 10 towards the end of that chapter. The word distraction means to separate from. It means to separate from. So if I'm distracted, I have been separated from the thing I wanted to do. The thing I needed to do. Uh, it means to be. It means to cram or to fill the mind with unnecessary things. Really, a cluttered, overly busy mind is a distracted mind. This is a big one for our age. Amen. Let's read this. This is a familiar story for us. Verse thirty-eight, Luke ten thirty-eight. Now it came to pass as they went that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha, remember her? She received him into her house. Whose house is it? It's her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. What was Mary doing? Sitting at Jesus' feet. And what was she doing there? Heard his word. What did you say, Miss Elizabeth? Listening. Listening. What was she doing? Sitting. Listening. Let's all say that together. Sitting. Listening. All right. But Martha was what? She was cumbered. She was hindered. Weighed about. What was she cumbered with? Much serving. Now, were her intentions right? I mean, I, I have been such a Martha. I have been 
Martha squared when someone's coming over to my house. I mean, paint the fence, new mulch, cut the grass with scissors, whatever. I mean, it's got to be. Especially you're going to have someone like Pastor Nancy come over. I, you know, and there was a chance that they were going to come over during the crusade. So I spent, I, I hid the service, I did my duties, I had prayed and all that, and man, I zipped home, I changed clothes, I'm power washing stuff. And there wasn't going to be a living cobweb, spider web within an acre of where I live. I mean, I, I am guilty. Amen. And I, I've learned as a pastor, you know, I, I cut my teeth in ministry, in the helps ministry. I love the helps. I love the activity of it. It's like so satisfying because it's like, you know, you change all the, you come in, half the light bulbs are out, and you worked, and now they're all burning. Oh. It's like satisfying. It's like power washing. It's like grime brand new. Woo! I, I love it. But that's not my office now. That I stand in. And so much of my call is, you know what? Sitting. Being still. Studying. Praying. Being quiet. And for an extrovert whose personality is measured like off the charts, gotta be around people kind of a person, to be shut away hours on end by myself, not easy. Right? Not easy. Was she sinning, Martha? She really was, but not how you and I think about it. It wasn't evil, but the word sin means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Yeah. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him. I can't imagine this. Lord, hey, hold up that Bible study here for a minute. You know, think about it. when the Lord shows up, there's, there's at least 12 guys, 12 hungry guys that have been walking forever that are with Jesus. Who knows how many people, other, and they all come in, and she's like, go to Sam's. We've got to get another cheese tray. I mean, we don't have enough, we don't have enough bologna. They didn't eat bologna. That wouldn't kosher, right? But anyway. And she has the nerve to say to the Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister? What's Mary doing? Sitting, listening. Has left me to serve alone. Now it sounds so sweet in the King James. Bid her. No, it's tell her. Tell her. If you've had children, they've done that. Mama, tell him. <laughs> tell her, therefore, that she helped me. Listen to the Lord's response. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. You know she's got right then. I mean, she just, she's, she's gotten right then. Martha, Martha. You are, we already know she was cumbered. She was reduced to idleness. She was taken away. She was hindered. Now he calls her what? Careful. This word careful means to be drawn 
in different directions, separated because of worry and anxiety. And troubled. This word troubled means to be emotionally upset and disturbed. She had lost her peace. And again, maybe Karen, I don't know, maybe you might understand as our hospitality director, Jesus comes in, he's the special guest minister. Man, it's got to be right. And look, we want it to be right. But we have to discern the moment. Remember that prayer, for time's sake, we won't go there, but back in Philippians 1.10 in the Amplified, that we might learn, Paul's praying for the church, that we might learn to sense what's vital, what's vital to approve and to prize the things that are excellent, and to be able to discern and to distinguish the differences. Yes, serving Jesus and his people a meal, making that right, that was good and right and necessary, but not when he's under the anointing, not when he's talking, not when he's imparting, not when he's teaching. You can't get, that's not worth a good sandwich. The extra polish on the china is not worth missing what he said. Taken away, careful, drawn away in different directions. Listen, oh, this is so many of us. All right? Yeah. I mean, the 20% of our people that are not here today, maybe they have really, there's a difference between a reason and an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Some people have a reason. They have a reason. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. It's vacation time. That's a reason. You know, different things. I'm not here to judge. But some people have made a habit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so drawn away. Here we go. Let's, but notice what he said. You're troubled about many things, Martha. But one thing is needful. In the King James, it says one thing is necessary. One thing is to be prized above all others. Mary has chosen that good part. Mary has chosen that good part. What did Jesus say? And it will not be taken away from her. To do, something, to do something that was good to do. No doubt though, Jesus would not have talked. You know, he fed the multitudes. There came a time. He cares about people. He, in fact, he said the disciples came one time and said, Jesus, you need to shut the meeting down because we're out here in an out-of-the-way place. The people have been with you three days. They've got a long walk before they can go get anywhere, getting something. And what did he say? You give them something to eat. He see, he cared. He made provision for the people that were following him to be sustained physically. But divine order. The physical food is not as important as them being here to receive the spiritual food. Every day, guys. We can be Marys or Marthas every day. Some days we might string a really good series of days together and we've been Mary for five days. And then something happens and we are in full blown Martha mode for three weeks. <laughs> right? We've all, come on, am I the only one in the house that's been there? What's, what, what I think the Holy Ghost, what I believe the Holy Ghost is really wanting to help us with is 
be more mindful. What is happening right now? What are these influences? And if I yield to them, what are they taking me away from? What am I trading? See, Jesus is in heaven now, but His Word is still here. And it's still necessary, isn't it, to choose what Mary chose. To sit and attend to the Word. To sit. And there's a, you know, if this happens to be the church you're called to, I'm not Jesus, but He anointed me and called me to the office of the pastor and the teacher. And when that anointing's on me, to teach the Word, you, we need to be Marys and not Marthas. Just know, if I find you lingering in the lobby after service has started and you're not doing something official, you're either going to be encouraged lovingly to get in here and get engaged or to go ahead and take off. Because why did you come to, to be distracted on your phone in the lobby? Did your wife drag you up here? Did your husband drag you? Know, it's just we're not doing that anymore, guys. I'm just telling you. Walking up and down the halls because you want to stretch your legs. I mean, whatever. You need to be a Mary. Let's close this morning in one more passage. Let's go all the way to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll close right there. You getting anything out of this? Praise God. I don't want to miss those subtle leadings. I want my kids to come home every night. And if God needs me to respond to a leading, to pray for them, to take authority over, or you, any one of you in my church, how many of you, you don't want me cumbered all week? You don't. Some people think that's so cool of their pastor to see him running around like a fire truck. Okay, pastor. Okay, oh, sister Blabbermouth, got to go talk to her. She's offended that we took two offerings. Oh, pastor, now he's dusting the furniture. Oh, now pastor, oh, what was pastor doing? I saw him in the flower bed. He's pulling all the weeds. That's not what you, that's not what you want your pastor doing. You want him to be unencumbered. So that when the Holy Ghost gives him or her a prompting to deal with something in the Spirit that would affect your life, that I am in position to hear that and to have the time to take that before the Lord. Are you with me? Some of y'all are so good to me. I, I love you. You're so good to me. Pastor Debbie's done this, me this way. Marilyn's done me this way. Glory's done me. Jennifer's done A lot of you done me this way. I'll be in the lobby. I love the helps ministry, and I'm, I'm grabbing some trash. And uh, one of them will go, Pastor, what are you doing? Stop that. <laughs> What's no big deal? You know, And they got to get, and I'm like, I appreciate that. You have permission to rebuke me. When, I, when I'm in the helps minute. I'm, now, nothing's above, nothing ought to be above any of us. Yeah. Nothing's above me. Amen. But I have to be focused. Yes. Yes. Have to be focused. Amen. All right, let's, let's be focused and so we can close here, right? Say, Pastor, focus. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. We'll just go right to the Amplified. So if you don't have that, follow along in your Bible. You can look up on the screen. We'll close right here. Verse 1. It says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud. So he just spent a whole chapter, many verses, heralding the great heroes of the faith. Amen. And what they did and what they accomplished with their faith. 
And so because we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, now notice this, get this language. Let us, who? Us, that means me, strip off. Throw aside every, look at that in the Amplified, encumbrance. The cause of the thing that's causing us to be reduced to idleness and we're not bearing fruit. What are we supposed to do with that thing? Strip it off. Cast it aside. It didn't say pet it, make excuses for it, tell yourself and God that, that God understands. Strip it off, throw aside every encumbrance, which is defined here as every unnecessary weight. And that sin, which does so readily, deftly, cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence. Notice this, the appointed course. You have an appointed course. Come on. Of the race that is set before us. Look at this, verse 2. Looking away from all that will distract we all are going to be offered distractions. The instruction is, look away. Look away. Look away from all that would distract, and what? To Jesus. Jesus, get up and say, Jesus, what are we going to do today? You know, if you acknowledge God with your schedule, He'll help you with your schedule. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will, what? Direct thy paths. Whose paths is He directing? No. Yours, if you are acknowledging Him in all your ways. Our, our, uh, my senior, uh, the, the one in authority, he was the executive pastor of Church of the Harvest. He was the number two of uh, below the, in the hierarchy of authority at the church that I came out of. And he would teach us, he would say, take an hour, take an hour Sunday evening before the week starts. Get quiet, write out everything, natural and spiritual, you need and want to do. And then talk to God about it. Because I would often come to him and say, Pastor, I cannot do all you've asked me to. I am overwhelmed. He would say, you are not overwhelmed. You are disorganized. Mm -hmm. He never let me off the hook. I would have reams of notebooks of things I walked around with him that he wanted done. Mm -hmm. Tasks. And when I actually did what he instructed, I sat down. I laid it all out on my desk with my calendar there in front of me. And I, I talked to the Lord about it. It never, ever failed that I had plotted out every task, everything that needed to be done, all my spiritual and my natural priorities, both personal and work, and still had days left in my week open. Because what I would see was, instead of making five trips to the south side this week, why don't you make one and do it all while you're there? That's the kind of wild, crazy stuff I would do. You know, you go to Lowe's, but you didn't really think. They have a lot of stuff at Lowe's. You don't just have to get light bulbs and then go home. And, oh, now I have an electrical project. Let's go home back to Lowe's. And, you know, you, know, you live at Lowe's. You get your mail at Lowe's. I mean, if you're like me. 
That's a lot of gas, a lot of miles on the car, a lot of time. Yeah. Why don't you just make one trip? Yeah. And God would say, do this over here. He said, don't do that. There's a volunteer in the church that could help you with that. Call him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he would help me. And I had, to, I had to humble myself and say, Pastor Dan, I, you're right. I thought I was overwhelmed. Amen. But I have, I have laid it all out, and I have plenty of room in my week for unexpected things. Because you know some unexpected things are going to come up. You plan for those. You don't, if you're smart, if you're a day planner, you don't fill up every 15 minutes of your time. Because you know, some, and you're just going to be frustrated. You need to build in time for the unexpected. How do we get off on time management class? I don't know, but we, <laughs> praise God. Looking away from all that would distract to Jesus, who is the leader. Who's the leader, the source, the author, and the finisher of our faith. He is our example. And there was nothing more important to Him than serving the Father, pleasing the Father, and accomplishing the mission the Father gave Him to do. And that's the example that we need to follow. Pleasing the Father, loving the Father, and accomplishing the appointed course that's on our life. Amen. Amen? Amen. Did you get something out of that today? Yes. Well, if you didn't, I don't know what to, what to do to help you. Praise God. I did it as simply as I could. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Stretch your legs there a little bit. You did some good listening, some good